You're listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. As you know, this show is located wherever you want to listen to your music, your books, or your podcasts. You can find us on Apple and Spotify, which continue to be our most popular place to listen. But we're also on Amazon, Google, Stitcher, Player FM, and you can also go to danielkitchell.com and you'll find all the shows there, notes, links, articles. It's all there for you at danielkitchell.com. We ask you to give this a share and a like, maybe a rating for us. It'd be great. It really does help us get the word out about what we're trying to do here. And so thank you for all the support. It really does make a difference. Well, I think it's safe to say that we all love a great redemption story. I know for me that's true because I really enjoy hearing stories of the dead being brought back to life, the lost being found, the the addict being set free, the broken person being restored. Redemption stories really stick with me. And I think that's true because when I hear them, I see myself in the narrative and it gives me hope and it gives me strength that other people have been hurt before and been restored. Other people have made bad decisions and been set free. Other people have been addicted and they've broken the chains of that substance or whatever's holding them back. And so redemption stories land with me because I see myself in it. And today's interview is just that. It's a redemption story. Jamie Johnson joins me on the show. His story is one that is going to truly leave you on the edge of your seat. Jamie has been down some of the darkest paths that you could ever imagine, whether it be in prison for several years, a drug manufacturer, an addict, a person that abandoned his family. He made every wrong decision that you and I could probably ever imagine. And yet he stands today as a broken man that is continuing to be restored, that is being set free. And he uses all that pain from the past and all that struggle from his poor decisions. And he uses it to help people today. Jamie did everything he could to get out of prison. And now he's going back into prisons to minister to those who are behind bars. He used to be an addict, and now he wants to help set the addict free. He used to not care so much about his family, but now he does, and he wants to model that. Jamie's story is a redemption story, and I can't wait for you to hear it. This is my interview with Jamie Johnson. Jamie, thanks for coming on the show with me today. It's an honor to have you. Hi, Daniel. I'm glad to be here. All right. It's really, really uh, a conversation I've been looking forward to, and uh, we're just going to see where God takes us as we walk through your life. And I want to start with a, a quote that you have um, used a lot. I read it at the top of your testimony. You say, to know the road ahead, um, you have to ask those that are coming back. And so we're going to we're gonna talk a lot about coming back today. And Sounds <laughs> good. Absolutely. Just hear, hear what you've gone through and how the road back is um, going to help people know uh, the road ahead. And so let's just start with your childhood. You know, it sounds like you, you kind of grew up in a good old Oklahoma <laughs> uh, Christian home and you uh, were raised well and 
take us through that a little bit right off the bat here. Yeah, I was uh, raised all my life in a Christian home, by loving parents. Um, you know, I've been through the vacation Bible school and, and all that. And I call that my training because uh, <laughs> I learned a lot uh, in those days, mostly about the Bible stories, which are awesome Bible stories. Uh, the thing that I felt like I lacked was uh, how to apply scripture to my life. Yeah. Uh, today, you know, thanks to Jesus, I do that now. Right. So, but it took a long process to, for me to get there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you, you know, you said something along the lines that, um, you know, around 13 is when you became a, a believer yeah. and confessed your faith in Christ. And uh, that was a very real thing for you. Yes, it was. Uh, well, it was a great day for one. Mm. You know, I asked Jesus into my heart uh, and uh, just felt in my heart that God was calling me into ministry. And I was baptized and I talked to my pastor about it. He gave me this opportunity one day to, to preach in front of the church. And so, you know, 13, 13. <laughs> so scared out of my wits, you know, I delivered a, I'll probably a three minute sermon on John three sixteen. pretty much. Yeah. I read the scripture and said, Jesus love you and amen. <laughs> um, right. And I think about that still yeah. to this day, cause it, it is kind of funny, but I think that, uh, just laid the groundwork to where God was calling me to what I was going to be involved in. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's a full circle for you and we're going to try to close that circle uh, yeah. when we wrap everything up here at the end of the conversation. Um, so 13, you have this uh, incredible experience with God. You become a Christian and you preach a sermon, uh, yeah. you know, so this is very real to you. And then you, you had a, to me, an event happen in your life that everything seems to point back to, you know, that we're going to talk about this one single moment uh, where a tragic accident happened. And I want you to tell us about the accident that happened. Walk us through that day and what you remember about it. Um, I know that's difficult, but I think it's important to the story. You know, there was a time in my life where it was very difficult to talk about, and I buried those feelings for a long, long time. I uh, I, I remember the day vividly. You know, it was a, a spring, early summer day. Uh, me and a young man was riding motorcycles up and down a gravel road. And uh, he was in front of me. We weren't going very fast. And he laid his bike over, hit some loose gravel and laid his bike over. Um, I was behind him. Neither one of us had helmets on. And I ran across him. Um, I wrecked my bike and immediately jumped up and ran back to look at him, see if he was all right. And I remember, you know, yelling his name. And uh, there was no movement or anything. And uh, so that was my first real experience with fear. Mm. I did not know how to react. So I ran to the first house I came to, knocked on the door, told them to call the police, you know, and then I ran another half mile to this young man's where he was living at the time. Um, later that evening, um, I was informed that he had passed away. Mm. And uh, I believe that really uh, changed uh changed my life forever. It really turned me, uh, turned me around to a place that, uh, I did not want to go. Um, but I went there anyway. Mm. So it was a rough time in my life. Yeah. So you, would you say that this, this motorcycle accident was something that you, um, you know, you carried a lot of blame that for this, this death, I mean, um, so yeah, at the time I didn't really understand 
you know, what was going on. Um, you know, I was questioning God, mm. you know, why would you let bad things happen to good people, especially a 10 year old young man? Mm. Um, I was having a hard time grappling with that. Um, so I felt some responsibility. All I knew that was, uh, the people I loved most were hurting cause of me mm. and it was hard for me to process that. So, what I've done is I just buried my feelings and, and really never talked about it, and uh, which was a mistake. Now, yeah. you know, 50 years later, yeah. I know it was a mistake because I really need, needed to get that out to, to be able to cope with it. Mm. And so, yeah, it changed my life, that's for sure, and the life of many others. Well, and I think that it's probably safe to say that a lot of the, you know, the counseling and things that we have around today, which is wasn't available to someone your age in that yeah. year. You know, what year would that have been when this accident happened? In the 70s. Yeah. Late 70s. Yeah. So this is, there wasn't a lot of support and help out there. I mean, obviously you had people who cared for you and prayed for you, but sometimes you need other avenues to help you process. Yes. And and that's one thing I want to say. I I did have the, you know, my my, uh, youth minister come over and pray with me. And I've had the pastor pray with me. Of course, my family members, my aunt and uncles, um, they, they come and prayed for me and, and, and I know, especially today, that uh, prayer is powerful and it, it will change your life. But at that moment in time, um, I, I probably needed more than just prayer. Mm-hmm. I needed actually some counseling done. And I didn't know of any counseling back then. Yeah. So it, uh, yeah, I just dealt with it the way I, I knew how. And yeah. that was just to not talk about it. Not talk about it and yeah. turn, to, turn to other things to kind of, you didn't, even realize, you didn't even realize it, but you were turning to other things just so you didn't really have to even process it or think about it. And go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. At that, that age, um, I, uh, shortly after the accident, you know, I, I quit going to church, kind of fell away, um, started smoking a little marijuana and, and doing things that uh, I shouldn't do. But the main thing was, was, it was I turned my back on Jesus and just kind of you know, I knew he was real and I knew he was God, my savior, but, uh, I, I reached for a different coping mechanism mm. and, uh, you know, pretty much the guilt and shame festered into an unforgiveness for me and it carried over into relationships all through my life. Mm. Um, so it, it was, uh, it was something to go through. That's for sure. At a young age. Yeah. So these, some of these habits and things that um, they're going to end up costing you so much down the road here. They began shortly after the accident, just, you know, dabbling and smoking marijuana, drinking, drinking, drinking beer, things like that. And, and it just kind of escalated for you. I mean, would you say that just, yeah, I, I would say that, yeah, it started out fun Mm -hmm. and it was just a behavior, something to do, you know, to be cool with the kids, a little peer pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, more or less it was, uh, just an avenue for me not to focus on reality and just uh, get by through the days. Um, you know, throughout my high school years, I, I really started partying quite a bit in high school. Um, I really wasn't using drugs every day or drinking every day, but I think that uh, catapulted me into to a place later on in life that uh, really affected me in a, in a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this accident's, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, there's probably a little bit of, you know, you feeling responsible for it. You've seen that you've hurt a couple, you know, you've hurt families. Um, 
you're wondering, you know, why um, something so bad could happen to someone so young. And I think that's a question that we, is a timeless question for everyone. You know, why do, why do things like this happen? And um, how do you, I mean, how do you answer that question? Like, I mean, why, I know that's really hard and I know I'm dropping that on you a little bit, but I mean, it's a question that many parents have asked that have had to bury their child or their, their grandson or granddaughter. And I just, I, I'd love to hear your thought on it. So, you know, at the time I just was questioning God, but today um, I, I've realized, um, you know, God's still in control mm. and there's evil in this world. And we all have to make our own choices. And sometimes our choices are, are evil or negative. And, uh, you know, so God will let, let things happen to play out uh, for His glory. It ends up, generally turns into a, a great thing for God. And, and I just, you know, I got to give Him praise for my life today. Yeah. It's, it's really a, it's a miracle, if you ask me, in my life, um, just for the things that I've seen in my life and the life of others. Yeah. You know that's a really tough question. I it still is. I still have that thought today. It's like I, I don't get why a person has to go through so much stuff, you know, to all of a sudden come out on on the other side just to glorify God. Yeah. Why couldn't it be that in the beginning? Sure. But what I've learned in my life is that uh, we've got to go through things to change our character to you know so we can grow. Mm. Um, I surely didn't want to be stuck in the way I, I used to be. Um, I wanted Jesus to change my life. Yeah. And so I, to do that, I, I had to make a change and, and make a commitment to Christ. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your honest answer on that because, you know, a lot of times we try to give that a Sunday school answer, you know, that, you know, why does this happen to people? Why do bad things happen? And we try to just, you know, just throw maybe even silly things and quotes about it, you know, and try to make people feel better. But there's, this is a broken world. And bad things happen, things that uh, are accidents. They're, they're unfortunate things. Um, there, is, there is brokenness out there. There is evil. But what I've learned as well um, is that God ultimately will get the glory and he uses tragedy and he uses, you know, accidents and unfortunate things to bring people closer to him and to one another in it. You know, often I wonder what could we have done this another way? You know, I, I wonder that because I've gone through so many difficulties in my life as well. But, um, I think that sometimes grief and suffering are the greatest teachers. Yes. I have to agree with that. Um, you know, for me in my life, um, I wish I didn't have to go the long route to where I'm at today, but I'm so grateful that I did. Uh, because it gives me a lot of opportunities now to to share with others what Jesus has done in my life. Yeah. But more importantly, I, I get the opportunity to see how God works in others each mm. and every day, uh, whether it's the incarcerated individual or if it's a drug addict or someone that's just suffering with anger. I, I get to see them changes in their lives. And uh, and that just continues to confirm that, you know, my God is real yeah. and he, he, he will change your life if you let him. Well, I would think, too, like going back to you know, your high school days and getting into college, uh, you're making poor choices. You're, um, you're developing some really bad habits that are going to cost you a lot. And, and even answering our own question, just talking about why do these things happen? God used all of those even bad choices to glorify him and to bring about ministry and change in other people's lives. And so I want to go there now with you. So you're, you're in high school. Um, you're, you're going to go 
play baseball in college, but you're, you've got these bad habits that are just there from all this resentment, unforgiveness, and uh, just all these feelings of trying to, you know, just, you know, push your, push your feelings down and not have to deal with things. And so take us to that place. Yeah. So in my college days, I was, I was blessed with a, a scholarship to play baseball and uh, I studied at Rose State. And uh, I've got to put this in there. I met the love of my life in, in 1984. You know, I gave this young lady a promise ring and, uh, you know, I was promised to marry her, but still all my, my hurts and hangups and habits and all the things that I was still dealing with on the inside never, never got dealt with. Mm. So it carried over into all my relationships. Well, anyway, the love of my life, we ended up breaking up and, and I finished, uh, the college at Rose State, and I moved to uh, Tabor College up in Hillsboro, Kansas, which is a Mennonite Brethren school. And I find that interesting yeah. because, uh, you know, now that I think about it, God had placed me in a place where I needed to be, mm. surrounded by Christian men and women that would encourage me. But I was still struggling with issues that happened long ago and still living a lifestyle of wild and crazy you know, college lifestyle of partying and really not uh, caring about anybody but myself. Mm. And uh, so I, I chased chased that rabbit for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, but God ended up showing me favor and introduced me to uh, my future wife, which was a Christian woman. And we got married, and uh, we had two wonderful children, and and uh, we. Uh, Got married and, and was enjoying life. I was on top of the world, you know, but Jesus was still on the back burner. And uh, my addictions and all my hurts carried over into this relationship just like it did in, in the past. And uh, I ended up abandoning my family for foolish and selfish reasons. Mm. And uh, at this point in time in my life, I still had hope in Jesus. I knew Jesus. I knew uh, who he was. Um, but I still wasn't applying scripture to my life. Yeah. And so anyway, I, we, we were separated. And uh, I remember after a couple of years, I was ready to get my life turned around. Uh, I made a good, earnest effort. I would call it, I wouldn't say a commitment, an <laughs> effort yeah. uh, to change my life because I wanted my family back. Uh, she had since moved from Wichita to Topeka. So I went up there. I pretty much lived on the street in a van um, I found me a job doing as best I could, but, um, and I talked to her about us getting back together and she told me to move back to Oklahoma and get my life turned around. And, uh, so, you know, coming back to Oklahoma and after my divorce is when I lost all hope. Mm. I mean, I, there was no hope at all. I knew I was headed down a path that, uh, I probably wouldn't return, mm. you know, and actually I really didn't care. Didn't care if I lived or died. I was in that kind of a place. Mm. And it's interesting um, how it worked out. Um, I ended up uh, coming down here and getting into some trouble, and uh, which was a bad thing. Uh, today I look at it as it was a blessing, actually. Yeah, it gave me an opportunity to change my life. Yeah. So you, I know you uh, and I talked before our interview that you kind of you started dabbling in some more harder drugs in college, and that obviously was a big part. You were you were doing meth occasionally. And then it sounds like that just continued to grow and become more a part of your addiction. You want to speak to that a little bit? Because yeah. that, that's a, I mean, obviously everybody knows the seriousness of that, but 
hearing it firsthand from someone that's actually done it, struggled with it, sold it, you know, mm-hmm. manufactured it like you, I know you've mentioned, let's, let's hear about that a little bit. So, yeah, I, I mean, even in college, I, I was smoking a lot of pot, um, dabbling, using meth, cocaine, you know, ecstasy, mushrooms. Um, I tried pretty much everything I, I could get my hands on. Um, you know, when I, when I was at the college at, in Hillsboro, it was the same way. Um, I was kind of an outcast there because I was a party animal. There, there was about six or seven of us that we like go out to the lake and throw parties and have yeah. a good time, if you want to call that a good time. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I said, it carried over into into to my marriage. I started uh, working for a construction company, and uh, I started getting involved with with the Mexicans. Uh, and started moving moving their meth for them. Mm. And it was at a large quantity. It was uh, for trafficking. Um, this is before I moved back to Oklahoma. Um, so when I got to that point, I was ready to quit. I mean, mm. I, I was really tired of it, and I was wanting to, to get my family back. But what I've learned on this journey, though, it seems like every time I wanted to quit, I would do good for a few days, mm. and something would happen, whether it be an argument or – or a court hearing or just anything would happen. Uh, it would always flip me back to using drugs. And it just seemed like it, it became a, a cyclone, a whirlwind. I'd, yeah. I'd do good for a couple of days then I'd fall off and the guilt and shame would always pop its head up, you know, and remind me of what my past. And I just kept chasing my tail around and around till led me to a place of, uh, uh, freedom. I can I can call it. Led me to a place of freedom and and peace, uh, which was prison. Yeah, yeah. So you you've, you've you know you obviously committed crimes. You've been you know you've been convicted of some of them. You're you're developing a rap sheet to some degree. I think you told me you had like a ten or eleven felonies at some point. You know, kind of lost count. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you won't even you know so much. So you're in, involved in trafficking. You know, you men- mentioned know, some of the, um, the bigger deals that are going on. And there was probably some fear there for your family. There had to have been, you know, and involved in big things like that, right? Yes. There was a lot of fear for my family. Um, that's, uh, one of the reasons that I kind of, I'll just put it out there. I abandoned them is Mm -hmm. for that. That's one of the reasons that, uh, I didn't want them to get caught up into something that, uh, could get violent Mm -hmm. or they get hurt. So, you know, in my, my thinking it's best for me to leave and for them not to be around it, which is not very smart thinking. Yeah. But it's, it's what you were thinking at the time. Yeah. So yeah. In that time um, of my life, I really wasn't living in reality. I was running from my problems. I never dealt with the issues of the past. Um, I surely wasn't dealing with the issues of the present. And so it did, it just kept me, you know, running, basically running and isolating myself um, I found later in life when, when I isolate myself, that's when my mind really runs wild. So cope with that. Just, you know, stay out of reality. Just stay high. Yeah. So the final straw for you, you're, you know, you've abandoned your family. You're, you're making just selfish decisions to protect, you know, pr- protect yourself and to isolate and you don't want your family to be harmed. All those things. Um, everything kind of comes to a head for you with the final um, you know, run in with the police and the fire department. And it's like mm-hmm. the nail in the coffin for you to finally, you know, just get a, a lengthy prison sentence. And 
what happened that day that uh, brought all that to a head? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I got back to Oklahoma, I, I caught two felonies pretty much within a couple months here. Um, and then shortly after that, I ended up catching a couple of manufacturing charges and uh, one in, in uh, Oklahoma County, one in Cleveland County. I was still in the process in Cleveland County of being sentencing and uh, ended up getting sentenced in Oklahoma County to 18 years. Um, so I remember that day in court and, uh, you know, my family was there. Um, it was very emotional. And uh, I, I think I was facing seven felonies uh, that day with uh, two revocation charges of the suspended sentence that I was on. And I remember the judge hitting that gavel down, giving me 18 years for the attempt to manufacturing meth. And when that gavel hit, I didn't hear nothing else after that. I started calculating how much time I was going to be in prison. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, man, I'm going to be an old man when I get out of here. And so there again, I was still thinking selfishly about myself. Yeah. So I remember leaving that courtroom, belly chain shackled and, and uh, going out and they, they gave me the opportunity to say bye to my family. And, uh, you know, of course, my mom was crying and very upset. And I tried to encourage her to look at it like I was going away to get a college education. Mm. I was going to be away for a while, but I'll be home soon. And anyway, I went up to the cell and, and uh, you know, I cried out to Jesus that day. And I call it a glorious day and not because of the prison sentence or any, anything like that. But I rededicated my life to the Lord. Mm. And, and what made this day so glorious is in the past when I'd get in trouble, I would always have, oh, Jesus, just help me. I promise. Let me out of here. I'll do better. <laughs> and they were just empty prayers, empty yeah. promises. And, and God knew that. But he would, you know, I'd make bond or I'd get out and just return immediately to what I was doing. But this day was different. So I cried out, rededicated my life, and made a commitment to him that if he would walk me through this valley and show me things that I needed to change in my life, you know, that I, I would be committed to him for the rest of my life. Mm. And so I looked at that prison sentence, you know, as an opportunity just to do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God really moved in my life in there. I had uh, opportunities while I was locked up to, to do drugs and, and uh you know, I, I had choices in there to either not do them or do them, but it was different this time. Mm. Um, I felt like that uh, now being locked up, I had the freedom to choose not to use drugs. I was able to face it with the Lord, read it in scripture, you know, and believe and have hope in Christ. And it changed my life. It really did. Um, so I, I got involved in uh, faith and character programs um, there at a medium facility, which was terrifying. You know, there was a lot of violence there. Uh, when I was there, there was two riots, 13 men lost their lives. Um, it was really a cloud of evilness over this prison. Wow. It was, it, it was really scary. I was terrified. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, God says, do not fear what 365 times <laughs> in scripture. Uh, yeah. That was the last thing on my mind. But yeah. I also knew that, that God was with me and that, I was going to be all right. Yeah. So shortly after that, I was, I, I think it was 18 months later, I was transferred to a, a minim, minimum facility um, where I feel that God really worked in my life. 
And uh, when I got there, I, I was very uncomfortable um, just because of the other offenders there. Um, put it this way, at, at the place I was, these people were hated and killed and stabbed. Mm. And so I had that still that pride and, and uh, I guess, anger towards certain people with certain crimes. Well, in God's infinite wisdom, he puts me in a place where now I need to love these people. Wow. And it, it uh, but when I got to this facility, I was excited because I was going to get to go to church, get involved in more programs to help my character defects, my cognitive behavior. And I get there and I go to church and I felt uncomfortable. There's that selfish pride and that unforgiveness and all mm. that guilt and all those past hurts coming to a head again. So I quit going to church. And I remember sitting on my, my bunk, you know, praying and, and reading scripture. And, and God spoke to me and said that my sin is no better or no worse than any other sin. I am still a sinner mm. that I need to love people no matter of their history, their crime, or what they do, just be sure and love them yeah. and treat them with dignity and respect. And when I heard that, of course, you know, I'm like, really, God? You know, <laughs> um, but uh. Benz, I made a commitment to yeah. obey. Um, that's what I did. And it, it helped change my life yeah. in a different way. So, so today I love people instead of selfish behavior. Mm. I care for their well-being. I want them to, you know, to be prosperous, um, you know, to flourish, to thrive. And uh, that, that's uh, what I really love, love to do now. Yeah. Well, backing up a smidge, I, I found in my life, um, Jamie, a lot is that God is very, very relentless in pursuing us. And so going back to some of the, you know, just the criminal behavior you're involved in, selling, doing drugs, you know, all the things that go on with that culture, um, did you ever feel like you were going to get away with it all? Or did you just kind of feel like the noose was tightening and eventually it was going to, it was all going to come to a head for you? Or did you, you know, cause I've often convinced myself, I'm just going to, this is going to happen and no one's going to care. And I'm just going to, you know, get, get, do what I want to do. And, but what, what was your so, mind like in that? So, so my thought process, and, and I want to remind you, I, I was still a believer in Christ. Yeah. And I, you know, there was times that I would go to church trying to do things and then things would happen that I, that I would. But my thought process at that time is I didn't really care. I didn't care about people. I surely didn't care about my family and I surely didn't care about myself. Mm. So I, I knew what was going to happen. I was either going to end up in rehab. I was going to end up in prison or I was going to die, mm. you know, and, uh, I didn't want to go to rehab. I didn't want to go to prison and I surely didn't care if I, I lived or died. Mm. So that was my thought process at that time. Wow. So, you know, I was all in on doing whatever I could to, to really just kill myself. And what's sad about this whole, whole part of this story in my life is even though that I was alive, I was just walking dead. Mm. I mean, there was no life in me to share with others. There was nothing in me, but, but evil. And, uh, so it didn't really matter to me at that time. Yeah. But uh, it, it's uh, it's interesting how God will use my past or the past of others, you know, to to glorify him. Yeah. To encourage others to, just to glorify him. And uh, he is he is worthy of that. Mm. Yeah. So. Wow. So 
let's just go real quick to um, maybe the the last, uh, <laughs> for lack of better words, uh, the last crime you were able to commit in the sense that you know you before you the the day you got you're you know busted you know and <clears throat> you know you get um, you know that that final thing happens for you and and you're looking at a, a lengthy a lengthy time in jail and you know it you're take us to that day particularly when the knock on the door happens and, you know, and tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, at, at that time, that knock on the door, I, I wasn't facing any time. Yet. Yeah. But uh, I knew at that moment that, uh, you know, I recognized that knock. If uh, yeah. you were in, in my line of work at that time, you, yeah. you know, that knock. And so I was telling the people in the house not to answer that door. Mm. Uh, they answered it anyway. And uh, so I, I had the police at the door and I had a conversation that they couldn't come in. Mm. Um, anyway, they, they made a way through some loopholes to make it happen where they could come in and search my house. And, uh, and I was doing the dirt. I mean, I, I take responsibility for that. But at that moment that day, um, you know, I, I knew then that I more than likely I was going to be headed to prison mm. and if I'd have known then what I know now, I would not have prolonged it for those two years because yeah. uh, it was in and out of court hearings, um, you know, missing work. Uh, it was just really a, a battle in my mind going through that process. Right. So when I got that sentence, you know, it was a relief. Yeah. I mean, and that's crazy to say. Yeah. It's sure. a relief. Um, what What's really neat, uh, and we'll probably talk about this later, um, you would never think that a person that has done time get released and is excited to go back inside. Mm. And, uh, you know, God called me to do that. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and I know a lot of people that, that do that. Yeah. That's done a lot of time. And, and, you know, one of their missions that God's given them is to go back inside and, and minister to the, to the men and women that yeah. are incarcerated. Yeah. You're the thing you, You've been trying to avoid for years. So now you're going in there willfully and trying right, to help people. Right. Yeah. And now I love it. I go yeah. go in there, you know, three and four times a week. Well, and, and that's the beauty of the story is that only someone that's been there can fully meet those people mm-hmm. and their element and understand what they're going through and what they're facing. And um, so, you know, I know earlier, um, you know, you mentioned uh, and before we got on a uh, re- recording here that, uh, the day that, uh, you know, you got pulled over for wearing no seatbelt yes. right here in Moore, Oklahoma. Yes. And it was like, almost like maybe a pressure valve release because it was like, you know, it was kind of over times, uh, times yeah. running out. And eventually this is all going to head. Tell, what happened that day? Yeah. So, uh, I had my girlfriend with me at the time and we were, we were traveling to actually go visit her daughter. And I didn't have a seatbelt on, mm. and uh, a police officer seen me and pulled me over. Um, uh, we had paraphernalia on me, so you know, I I told the girlfriend just throw it under my seat and I'll take the rap for it because yeah. I I knew I knew I was headed. I was going down anyway. So mm. what's another felony? Yeah, you know, and that's a terrible mindset. <laughs> but it's where you were. But that's where I was. Yeah, and, and I was trying to protect her, you know, so she wouldn't go. Uh, but anyway, so they pulled me over, ran my name. Of course, the detective showed up because they knew who I am, you know, because I've, I've had manufacturing going on there, got caught with it, mm. Cleveland County. And so they come and searched me. And, and uh, anyway, they, they took me there. Um, 
to Cleveland County and I, and they bought, I made bond. Uh, so they got me out of jail. So I was out for a couple of weeks. Mm. And so, you know, I go, I, anyway, I, I, I signed for my prison time in Oklahoma County. They send me to Granite. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a rough prison. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, the it's one very, with the riot. Yeah. It's yeah. very violent. Yeah. Um, so Cleveland County brought me back to sentence me for this seatbelt violation and, and paraphernalia. They ended up giving me seven years, but I also had a suspended sentence for manufacturing that I, um, on probation for in Cleveland County. Yeah. So I was hoping that they would, you know, revocate that. That's, you know, crazy thinking, <laughs> revocate it, please. <laughs> and run it concurrent with yeah. my, but, uh, my public defender told me that, that, that wasn't, they weren't going to do that. That's no big deal. Well, so they handed me seven years running concurrent and the, I'm I'm talking the next day after that seven year sentence fell off, Cleveland County kind of picked me up and brought me back and wanted to revocate the 15 years now, but not only wow. revocate it, but they wanted to give me all the 15 years in prison and stack it on top of the sentence I was doing. So of course, you know, I, I pleaded with the, my public defender, "Hey, yeah. we got to do something different." Mm. And uh, you know, once again, the Lord looked out after me. <laughs> And they ended up giving me one year running wild, which means I needed to complete my sentence that I was doing now. Okay. And that they, which I made parole on that. And then they moved me over to the one year sentence, which I completed in four months because I had good time. Got it. And so in here today, I'm still on probation. I, mm. I've been out 11 years. I still got three years to go. Oh man. Yeah. But piece of cake with Jesus leading the way. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yes. Wow. So I, um, I want to take us to a, a day that, uh, you know, you're in, uh, you, I, th- I think you've been moved to this minimum security, yes. um, prison and, uh, you get a phone call that your, your father has had a stroke, right? Yes. And you get your name announced over the PA at the prison, you know, what's going on, you know, it's not something good. And, um, so I'd love to hear about that day for you and then what it looked like with your father passing away and. Yes, it's uh, it was very hard and emotional that day. But I find it interesting that uh, um, actually how God helped me through the grieving and mourning process. Um, my father's a believer, so you know I understand that we will meet again in heaven. Mm-hmm. I know where he's at, so that was comforting. Um, you know, of course, my concern for my my brother out here taking care of everything was kind of hard for me to deal with. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the chaplain there called me down and asked me if I was okay. And we prayed and, and, uh, you know, I, I felt pretty, pretty comfortable with my dad passing. But as I sat there and thought about it, um, you know, I, the worry, cause I was going to work with my dad, he owned his own own business. So when I was released, I was going to go to work for him. Right. So immediately my thoughts were, well, how am I going to make it out there without a job? Uh, you know, and all the negative emotions that uh, the devil was throwing at me, you know, was coming at me. And uh, so, you know, I prayed. And like I said before, there's there's power in prayer. That's yeah. what I know to do. So I prayed and there was a comfort there. Uh, DOC did uh, give me the opportunity. I paid my way to go to my dad's funeral, which was very difficult. Um, I went to it's my home church now. Um, I went there belly chained and shackled in front of family and friends. 
and uh, which is very, uh, it was very hard to do. Mm. Um, but God, you know, uh, helped me walk in with my head held high. And I had an opportunity that day uh, to hold my granny's hand, uh, which was, was her son that passed away, mm. you know, and, and it was just, uh, that was priceless holding her hand Goodness gracious. at that time. Uh, she ended up passing away three months later, and I was really close to my granny. Wow. But so after the funeral, I, I went back to DOC, and of course, I'm still flooded with emotions, uh, you know, of not getting to go to the burial site with my family. Um, you know, what am I going to do? How's this going to work? And, and, you know, and uh, the Lord told me not to worry about it. He, mm. he basically said, don't worry about a job. Don't worry about your fines and restitutions. Um, you know, your relationship with your kids uh, or any of that. He said, just focus on him and be obedient to his word yeah. to the best of my ability. Um, he gave me a vision at that time uh, to start a celebrate recovery ministry at Woodland Hills church, which I might add, uh, that was the only time I ever been to that church was at my dad's funeral in shackles in shackles and chains and mm. hair down to the middle of my back. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's really neat how this story goes, but, uh, and then he also wanted me to get involved in prison, felt uh, prison ministries, what mm. it was at the time. And so when I was released, I had a job available. I had a place to live with my mom and my, my stepfather. Um, and I started going to church at Woodland Hills and talking to the pastor and everybody there. And so we, I was released in April of 2012. And we started to celebrate recovery there in 2014. Wow. So it, it took about a year and a half to, you know, approach the pastor and, yeah. and, and put things in place and get things organized. Um, so we've been doing that for nine years now. Um, eight years in a large group, and this is our ninth year in a step study. So God has blessed that ministry. Damn. And uh, something that I find interesting is I, I finally got a chance to take a break from facilitating a step study. Oh, I'm so happy. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Somebody was wanting to step in and lead. I was going to get a break. Well, you know, I was thanking Jesus for that, but I did not understand that he had a different plan for mm. me at the time. So I got a phone call from a friend of mine. He was actually a sponsor when I was in prison, a Celebrate Recovery, wanting me to do prison ministry. Of course. Um, right. <laughs> had an opportunity for me to go into Prison Fellowship Academy at Lexington Lark. Um and and uh, lead the Celebrate Recovery program in this academy. Right. Of course, you know, I'm like backpedaling, like, well, I don't know. I need to pray about this. I don't know about all that. Yeah. But, you know, I knew the answer in my heart. Yeah, I was like, you, you know, I'm I'm just trying to get out of it. Yeah. That's that, uh, I guess, my pride, my selfish desires taking over. Sure. But I knew the answer in my heart. As soon as I hung up the phone, I filled out the application, <laughs> called him back the next day and said, it's, you know, it's been sent in. And, and so that, that worked out. I started doing that and, uh, it was such a blessing. Yeah. It was the weirdest feeling to be able to walk into that prison the first time knowing that I get to leave. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just truly a blessing to, to meet those men where they're at and encourage them with my life. And, and that if I can do it, they can do it. Wow. And so, you know, God, God's amazing at, at what he does. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it's had, the road hadn't been easy sure. at all. Um, what I've learned, and I want to share this with others. If it was easy, it's probably not from God. 
<laughs> you know, God, yeah. God wants to challenge us and uh, help us through the challenging times for us to grow and uh, to grow, to minister to other people. Right. And that's uh, like one of the main things I've learned on this journey right now. Wow. I just, I think about, and I hope that everybody caught this, that, you know, this church that Jamie walks in shackled and chained and uh, to attend his dad's funeral is the church he attends now. Yeah. He's faithful to, he runs ministry there and you, you, you couldn't write the story any more ridiculous than that for lack of better word. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable to think about, you know, and you think about the fact that you, this thing you've been avoiding your whole life is now a thing you do willfully and go and meet people in a place that you were trying to get out of. And uh, it's just remarkable. It truly is remarkable. Yeah. I, I really, really love that God put me on this path to do prison ministry. Mm. Um, First off, it's not easy at all, you, you know, uh, but I want people to understand that those men and women that are incarcerated, they have great value, you know, and, uh, and I, I get to see it. A lot of people don't, don't get to see it, but they have great value to, uh, when they're released and, you know, 95% of them are going to be released into the world. Yeah. And if we can help them learn good citizenship values in there that when they come out here, they'll be prepared just a little bit mm. for what's facing them out, out in the free world. Yeah. And I, I love to see that, you know, and, and I've got countless stories of uh, friends and brothers and sisters. I'll call them brothers and sisters, more friends that uh, has been released and they are thriving right now. Yeah. And it's just amazing to watch God work in people's life. Man. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's, uh, Two things on my heart is, is the first thing is, you know, um, I'm assuming people like myself that, you know, and listening that have never had experience with prison other than, you know, seeing people they know go and, and, or, or, and get released or whatever. But when you get released, it's not just, it's not easy. You know, you've got, you got still, you got debts to pay. You've got reconciliation to happen. And when you got released, you almost reverted back to everything you'd been doing. And because you, the weight of, all the, it was, you know, standing, staring in your face when you got out, just the, the, you said the bills, the restitution, mm-hmm. things like that. And you almost folded. Yes. I, I, I tell you, uh, being a returning citizen is, is yeah. what, what we like to call us. I like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Returning citizens to society. Uh, everything's stacked against you. I mean, everything. And, uh, so for, I'll just use myself for an example. Um, I was released, had, you know, I think it was what ten thousand dollars, approximately ten thousand dollars in fines and restitutions with mm. the court, Cleveland County, Oklahoma County. You know, my child support uh, it was one hundred thirty-two thousand dollars when wow. I was released, and uh, you know, then you throw in there that I couldn't get a driver's license for six months, so I'm having, you know, my mom and and and, and stepfather drive me around to and from work, um, so. You know, that plays on your, your thought process, you know, already uh, your, I don't know, your self-esteem's yeah. pretty much broken. So you start to work. You finally find a place that will hire uh, somebody with a background like mine. And you go to work and you get your first paycheck and you're on top of the world thinking, all right, I can make this. I can do this. And then you get your second paycheck and they start garnishing your, your child support. Which you know, praise God. Uh, you know, I want 
I'm responsible for that, so I'm willing to pay that. Right. But at that time in my life, it was very difficult to see because, you know, $500 one week paycheck to $40 the next week, same amount of hours, It's it, it broke my heart. Yeah. And it made me angry and frustrated, and I almost quit right then. You know, um, you know, God uh, put on, on my heart uh, a scripture out of Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time, Jamie will reap a harvest if <laughs> I don't give up. Yeah. And I needed that scripture, and God knew that. So, so I memorized that, and at that moment I was about to give up. I had, you know, accountability partners. Uh, my mom and, and pops uh, encouraged me with that scripture and saying, it's okay, you can make it, just keep doing this. Yeah. And I'm grateful I listened to them um, because for me, at that moment in time, that five and a half years I worked on all my character defects, my spirituality, drawing close in a relationship with Jesus was thrown out the window in a second. Mm. I mean, the thought just flipped to going back to what I did, Yeah, you know, easy money. And uh, I'm just so grateful that God put people in my life to to help me with with that decision, or I wouldn't be here today. I, yeah. I would be inside an orange, and I know, or dead, you yeah. know, one of the two. So I mean, God really has has changed my life. Uh, first off, He's changed it by now. I can ask questions to others and ask for help if I need it. Yeah, uh, where I used to not be able to do that. Sure, you know, because I had it all figured out. Of course. <laughs> you know? How did you? Uh... How'd you reconcile with your kids? Oh, that was, uh, I know that might be a long story, but I mean, it's gotta be the hardest part of it. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it was very hard because when I was released in my mind, you know, I'm good. You know, I've worked hard to change my life. I should be able to walk back in my children's life and they accept me and know me and, and, you know, but I found out that's not true. Yeah. That's not how it works. And uh, and and I'm grateful for this because, you know, they had to step back and and look at me and make sure that I was real. Mm. And uh, so that gave me an opportunity to continue to work on myself to make that amends. Um, and I call it a living amends because I still practice it today. I want my children to look at me. And when they look at me, they know that I, I'm a changed man. I'm not who I used to be, yeah. that God is moving in my life. But just a short story, um, um, God gave me the opportunity to see a reconciliation with my daughter in real time. And uh, it was the first time that I ever got a Father's Day card. Mm. And uh, she put on there, you know, Happy Father's Day. And, and the card was sweet. And uh, I just immediately broke into tears mm. and looked at her and said, I don't deserve this. You know, I haven't been a father. But the reconciliation at that moment, um, her words were, Dad, just because you weren't in my life growing up don't mean I don't need you now. Mm. And at this moment, uh, um, she had her first child, my grandbaby, Evie. Um, (laughs) You know, she said that Evelyn needs to know her grandfather. Mm. And I mean, that was powerful. Of course, you know, I broke down in tears. It was, it was amazing healing moment in my life. Um, so now, you know, I'm, ver- I'm very close to my daughter. We're in contact all the time. My son, um, I don't get to talk to him much. He lives in an- another state about 13 hours away. Yeah. Um, so we still probably need to work on amends, and it's probably more on my behalf than his. 
Um, so that's something that I, I've got to continue working yeah. on. But there has been a, man, a man's made there, and, yeah. and we do love each other. Wow. So, yeah, and that's that's very important to me to get my children sure. to understand that uh, what I done wasn't really who God designed me to be. Mm. And so they get to see Jesus working through me now, yeah. and I love it. Golly. Yeah. Happy Father's Day, right? To get yeah. a card like that, you know, yeah. and never, never. She was uh, 19, 18 years old. Wow. I've never received any, any, and I didn't deserve one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, you. and, and yeah. still to this day, I, I feel like that I don't deserve because I really wasn't a father in their life. Yeah. And, uh, um, but today I'm, I'm hoping and working hard to be the best grandpa for my grandkids wow. that I can be. So. Mm. Again, just a, another remarkable part. Here you are, you know, a grandpa now, yeah. you know, and trying to spoil grandkids, you know, yeah. <laughs> of, 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 you know, the, the daughter that you basically walked away from. I mean, yeah. it's just an unbelievable turn of events. It yeah. truly is. Yeah. God, God, uh, uh, it's amazing in his healing power. It really is. Um, I love talking about it because, um, I probably wouldn't believe it. Yeah. If I didn't live it. Yeah. And, and so I get to see it. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you missed it, um, Jamie, at the very beginning of the conversation, uh, kind of brushed on the subject of um, kind of, you know, the first love of his life that he had back in high school and our parts of college, it sounded like. Mm -hmm. And um, this, uh, this young lady he's referring to as my cousin, my first cousin named Sherry. And <laughs> he mentioned her in passing, but, uh, another just full circle story with her. Um, you gave her this promise ring, mm -hmm. um, but you just, you just broke her heart, you know, and, and chose things that uh, over her and, um, tell us more about your story. You're reconnecting with her and where you're headed in the coming, coming months. Yes. It, uh, I mean, you're probably getting tired of me hearing this, but God has really <laughs> regenerated my life uh, since, nah, since no the way. age of 13, you know, being called into ministry, meeting the love of my life, Sherry, breaking her heart to, uh, um, you know, abandoning my family to now I'm involved in ministry, yeah. getting paid for it. I love it. You know, who yeah. would ever thunk it? Yeah, Not I me. Um, to my children are back in my life forgiveness met there. I made it amends with Sherry several years ago um, to today. God has brought us back together where we're engaged now, uh, planning on getting married uh, this year. Not a date's been set, yeah. but uh, the forgiveness there. So, I mean, through my whole life, uh, not only has Jesus forgiven me, but also the people that's uh, meant the most to me in my life has forgiven me and, and, and loving, and uh, they're giving me an opportunity to make that amends and live it out. Wow! And uh, it's really a, a, a great story that God has has given me. Yeah. Um, it sure wasn't from my own doings. <laughs> if it was left up to me, I would still be locked up or dead. <laughs> yeah. And I just think Man. it's interesting how how God can, you know, bring regenerate a life to full circle to when I was age thirteen to where I'm at today, mm. and uh, it's. It just blows my mind. <laughs> it really does. It, it it truly is. I mean, sitting here listening to it, it's just you 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 couldn't have written it any more strangely. You know, like, I mean, it's like, it doesn't even sound like it sounds like something you would truly just make up. You know, just yeah. to 
to, you know, to catch people's attention, but this is reality for you and, yep. and what God's done um, in your life. I guess I just have one, you know, big final question. I, I'm, I'm asking it kind of selfishly to some degree, mm-hmm. because this is something I struggle with. And I think probably a lot of our listeners struggle with whether, you know, they're, they've committed crimes or the, they've struggled with addiction and, or they're just, they've just got some things going on in their life that aren't good for them or whatever, or, um, you know, they're dealing with the guilt of the past. I guess that's my question. You know, how do you, how do you deal with, or do you just have recurring guilt and regret? Does those, do those things, do, do those things creep up in your heart and your mind? And, and if they do, what do you do about it? So, so that's a great question. You know, throughout my story, I, I talked about when things would happen. Um, back then when guilt and shame and unforgiveness would, you know, raise up in my thoughts, I'd always lean to my coping mechanism of drugs. So it's no different today other than when guilt and shame and unforgiveness, um, even, you know, negative thoughts about confidence, self-esteem, not being good enough, anything that comes to mind, you know, I always talk to Jesus about it. Yeah. And, uh, but more more importantly than talking to Jesus, well, there's nothing more important than that. And let me just <laughs> I say, know what you're saying. yeah, importantly is to I reach out to people. Yeah, you know, I've got accountability uh, people in my life. You know, I call them my brothers. Um, you know, I go to always the the gender specific, which was a guy. Yeah, I talk to them, and I just reach out to sponsors or mentors or pastors, and and just tell them. Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. And that, you know, prayer and just confessing that to somebody really changes, you know, my attitude and yeah. thoughts. Um, I, it, it's just really neat, you know, like I said earlier, is now I have the freedom not to do drugs. Whereas before I had the freedom not to do drugs, but I didn't really have that choice. Yeah. You know, I always went with what I know, but now, mm. you know, I have that freedom. And uh, if there's anything that I can encourage anybody that's listening today is that, uh, you know, there is hope. And I, I've, I've been with hope. I've lost hope and I have hope now. And uh, it's important for us as broken people. You know, I'm, I'm still broken. I'm still working on issues that I learned about in 2008. Right. So, you know, you're talking about 16 years. I'm still, you know, I'm, and at least it's not drug addiction or anything like that, but it's still, it's things got that hang ups. Yeah. It's just a hang up. It still yeah. bothers me um, to be sure and reach out to people. I mean, find you, you know, a place that, you know, find you a good church home that teaches the Bible that is willing to love you um, and not judge you despite your past that uh, will, will welcome you in open arms and, and, and help you through hard times. Yeah. Um, I know the last 11 years for me in my life is, has been hard. There's, there's nothing, there's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of negative things happen and, you know, doors that I thought were open getting slammed shut. Um, but I stayed focused on, on Jesus and God and, uh, reached out to people to help me keep that focus. And it's changed my life. You know, I I live in freedom, joy, and peace today. Um, because of Jesus and because of people he placed in my life. So I just want to encourage each and every one of you, if you're hurting, you know, this broken world causes, there's a lot of issues going on. Be sure and reach out, find you some people you trust and love and uh, talk to them about it. 
you, you'll be surprised how it'll change your life. Something so simple, but we just don't do it enough. You know, we think we're alone. We yeah. convince ourselves no one cares. And we have probably more people that care than we even could ever realize. And, and I love what you said. You know, we, we have the freedom to do what's right. You know, and God gives us that new desire in our heart that you're no longer, you're free to always do whatever you want. But whenever you give your life to Christ and you submit to him, surrender to that, um, you have the freedom to do what's right and what's best. And I, I love those words. I love it. Well, I want to just leave it with you. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to say to anybody, anything that you just um, maybe didn't mention or want to share to, uh, to wrap us up? Well, um, you know, of course, I always want to thank my my pastors. Yeah. Um, for one, you know, they they have a hard job. I only do just a small part of ministry. Yeah. And uh, you know, for for a, a man of God to to pastor and shepherd a congregation of a hundred to five hundred to a thousand is, is it amazes me, and, and it can only come through God. Yeah. So I just want to encourage you. You all to you know pray for your pastors and and, and the men of God because uh, you know it's tough. Yeah. And I did not realize realize that coming into ministry. I I thought oh it'd be easy man just yeah. pray 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 hallelujah <laughs> and be on your way. But uh, it's very taxing, and so I just want to encourage y'all to to lift your pastors up. That's good. Yeah. Good. And um I I'm glad you said that you know because it's uh, as a pastor I think that. If we were talking to a hundred pastors right now, I think that the thing we all struggle with the most is that we we carry the burdens of other people, and you don't even sometimes realize the toll that that takes upon you spiritually and mentally, and and so that means a lot to me. But I think it makes it all worth it when you get to have conversations yeah. like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and and one of my goals that uh, in my life right now is I want people to have what I have in my heart, mm. you know, and what I have in my heart has uh, brought me to a place that, uh, you know, of trust now, you know, of love. Yeah. I love people now and I, I want to see, I just want to see them, you know, grasp hold of that and go with it. And uh, when I see that, it changes my life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Jesus is real, man. I, wow. I've seen it. <laughs> I've lived it. <laughs> Well, I don't know how anybody could listen to this story and and walk away from it thinking that uh, somehow God is not real and He's not faithful, even when we're unfaithful. Yeah. And so, uh, Jamie, I just want to thank you for your heart and your time today. It's been it's been really real with you, and mm-hmm. to hear it from um, just come out of your mouth, your story, and coming from within you, uh, I know it's going to bless many people. And and uh, just thanks for coming on the show. God God bless you, man. Well, thank you, Daniel. I enjoyed it. Wow. My conversation with Jamie Johnson is going to be one that stays with me for such a long time. Every chapter of it, all the turns of the story, it seemed to point back to that one space in Jamie's life where he had unresolved guilt, unresolved pain and loss, and he just refused to face it. And it started dominoes falling in his life through bad decisions, through circumstances, and it all started there. And I just believe his conversation with me today could be so helpful in all of us having the courage to face the unresolved grief and loss and pain that we have had in our lives and maybe recognize how it's affecting us today. Today is the day. 
today's the day where you face your grief, you face your pain, you go talk to a counselor, you get on your knees and pray, you talk to a trusted friend, you reach out to your pastor and begin the road to healing. God can redeem you. God can set you free. And I think Jamie's story certainly shows that in a miraculous way. If this story meant something to you, would you please share it out with someone else? Copy that Spotify link and text it to somebody. Send your friends or family to danielkitchell.com and let them know this show's there for them and it's waiting to help them face the pain of the past and find redemption. Thank you for being with me today. Until next time, I'll be praying for you and God bless. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.